Hello and welcome to episode two of Painting the Corners. I'm Johnny Neenstead here with my friend Logan Parker. How's it going, Logan? It's going fantastic. Uh, had an exciting All-Star game weekend and got to see some of the bright talent in the game showcase itself. Uh, it was fun watching it and I'm excited to talk about the Home Run Derby champion in today's episode. I think uh, his name will be the hot topic for sure. Um, but no, it's, it's been really good and excited for the second half of the season. How's everything with you, man? It's going great. Uh, as Logan alluded to, we're going to be talking about some trade candidates today with the deadline coming up in about a week on August 2nd. Um, we're going to be previewing some guys who we think uh, might be moved and uh, where they might go and what kind of returns they might get. Um, so... As a reminder, uh, teams are about to be approaching like 100 game mark of the season. So, you know, it's it's crunch time. You got to decide whether you're going to be a buyer or a seller at the deadline, um, whether you're going to ship out the veterans on your roster to try to get uh, young players for the future, or whether you're going to try to acquire those veterans by sending out the young players who can't help you right now or if you're just going to hold on to everybody like the Rockies. Um, <laughs> so, oh yeah, also one other thing is players drafted this year, so, you know, last week, um, are not eligible to be traded until this offseason, so they can't play a part uh, at this deadline. No Kumar Rocker, no Drew Jones trades uh, this year at the deadline. That would be funny if you could do that. <laughs> yeah, it would be. That would be really funny. I mean, I guess if they don't allow you to uh, trade draft picks, they probably won't let you trade draftees. Um, no, but just like imagine you get drafted, you sign, you visit the ballpark, you've really not even done anything for the organization yet. You haven't even tried on a glove, and next thing you know, you're being shipped off to somewhere that you don't even want to be. <laughs> that would be pretty funny. All right, so the way this is going to work is we are going to break down MLB trade rumors top 10 trade candidates of the year, um, plus a bonus one uh, with the initials JS, whose trade status has changed significantly since that article came out, um, and a few honorable mentions of our own. So without further ado, let's start off with number 10, relief pitcher Andrew Chafin of the Tigers. He's a lefty playing on a very affordable $5.5 million deal. Um, and as a reminder, that's prorated. So any team that's acquiring Chafin would only have to pay about two, two and a half million of that, um, because they're only getting him for about two months. Um, and so I mentioned that they're only getting him for two months. Um, that's technically not true because he has a player option for next year, 2023. Um, but he will almost certainly decline that and head to the open market in search of a multi-year deal because he has had a fantastic season this year with a 2.45 ERA um, matched by a 2.3 FIP, um, both outstanding. Um, really locking it down for the Tigers' bullpen. Their bullpen has actually been pretty solid this year. Um, it's the only part of their team which has been above average uh, starting rotation and the offensive both disappointed a lot. Uh, but Chafin... Um, Definitely been great for them. Uh, some things that kind of go against him is he won't go multiple innings. He's only thrown 29 and a third innings 
over 34 appearances. Um, and he does seem to be getting a bit lucky um, in that he hasn't allowed very many home runs despite allowing about an average rate of barrels. Um, if you're not familiar, barrels are a stat cast term for balls hit with the optimal exit velocity and launch angle to become extra base hits and home runs. Um, so a little regression can probably be expected for Chafin in the second half, but still, um, he's going to be a super valuable piece because he's a lefty. He gets righties and lefties out. Um, any contender would love to have him in their bullpen for the stretch run. Um, he also has a great track record. If it feels like Chafin has been traded a lot, that's because he is. He seems like he's always the top lefty on the market at the deadline. Um, and yeah, good for him to be uh, able to be traded to contending clubs uh, pretty much every year. So yeah, um, he's got a strong track record. He's got great numbers this year. Um, so definitely lots of teams will be calling the Tigers about him. Uh, the fact that he is basically a rental and the fact that he's a reliever um, are probably going to limit his value somewhat. Um, I don't see the Tigers getting, you know, a real blue chip prospect, top 100 guy. Um, but given that the Tigers are a team that want to contend in the AL Central next year, they think that's feasible with the weak division. They're going to want guys who are near MLB ready. Now, those are the most valuable prospects, obviously, um, because they are, you know, there's more certainty if they've made it up through the minors. You know, it's more, more projectable than a guy who's like, you know, just been drafted or something. Um, but so, as I just said, that they wouldn't be able to get such a good return for Chavin. So, the way I'm thinking about this is maybe Detroit can tempt somebody to give up, you know, like a post-hype prospect, somebody who's who used to be a top prospect but maybe plateaued at AAA or made their big league debut and struggled. Um, somebody I had in mind um, before he was actually traded himself was the Braves' um, Drew Waters. Um, he was traded to Kansas City prior to the draft for a compensation pick, but he's exactly the type of player that the Tigers might try to target here. Um, he was a former top prospect for Atlanta, struggled in the high minors, um, and kind of, you know, lost some of his prospect shine and is looking for a change of scenery to um, find his old form. So, yeah, I mean, obviously that's just one possibility. They could completely go off the board, but I think that would be uh, somewhat of a preference for Detroit to get somebody who's near major league ready. Um, as for landing spots for Chafin, I mean, it's tough to say because, as I mentioned, any team would love to have him in their bullpen. Every team, you know, has a bullpen arm that they would much rather exchange for him. Um, but if we're looking at teams that are a little short on lefty relievers, um, we could narrow it down to the White Sox, Astros, Twins, Mets, Giants, Mariners, and Blue Jays. I would say, obviously that's not really narrowing it down very much at all. Um, of those, uh, the Astros twins and probably the Mets, I would classify as the most, uh, desperate. I would I guess you would say, uh, you know, the most in need of a rental reliever, uh, this year. 
And I don't know. What do you think, Logan, out of those three teams or any of the teams I mentioned? Who do you think? No, I think those three teams, no shot. So here's the thing. The Blue Jays need them. Blue Jays have a terrible bullpen, um, especially from the left side. They have no depth there. Well, do they have to win the World Series this year? No. The expectations where they would compete, and right now they're looking at a wild card spot, but there's no guarantee. There's obviously a handful of teams in that, that position. They need a lefty, and it would be a huge disappointment for them to miss the playoffs this year. Huge. There would be riots in Toronto. So they have to get Chafin. I'm telling you, this is a big get for them. Um, obviously, I'm being a little dramatic, but still. I think the Blue Jays have to be very serious at the deadline because if they're not, they're going to find themselves in a position where they look like the Padres of last year. Massive disappointment to not make the playoffs. Um, And I I think that's honestly a really good fit for him. Tigers suck, so honestly, whatever they can get, they should just be happy with. All right, okay. I think that's going a little bit far. I mean, Anthony Banda is no Josh Hader, but still, you know, the Blue Jays don't have too much pressure this year. Yes, they have to make the playoffs, but they're in good position already. Um, the Rays are facing a bunch of injuries. The Red Sox just dropped to 500. Um, the Mariners have actually started off slowly in the second half, got swept by Houston. Um, so, you know, things are looking out for the Blue Jays. I don't think they need to be super desperate. Yeah, would they love to have Chafin? Sure. But I think um, the Twins and the Astros especially – um, are more desperate, and I think I would give the Astros the best chance of acquiring Chafin. Um, I mean, obviously, best is a relative term. Um, probably, you know, five to one odds, maybe ten to one odds. <laughs> but um, yeah, I, I don't think. I don't know. I mean, he certainly could go to the Blue Jays, but uh, I don't think they're going to be uh, too eager to give up prospects for a rental believer but i guess we can agree to disagree here yeah i just i just don't know if vegas is doing odds for andrew chafin that'd be interesting <laughs> Pull to vegas and there's a line to bet on andrew chafin <laughs> but you know who knows i mean hey baseball junkies will talk about this one but at the end of the day is andrew chafin going to move a needle for any team no is he going to be helpful sure but he's not going to make a difference at the end of the day so while we might get excited about this andrew chafin guy it's uh it's nothing that's going to change a team's outlook on their entire season. If you say so. Yeah, if I if I do say so. Um, all right, are you good on, on Chafin? Sure. All right, well, then let's get to another um, high-quality reliever here. Uh, Michael Fulmer. Um, Michael Fulmer is what used to be Michael Fulmer was an insane top prospect. Everyone loved him under the sun. Uh, he's been in trade rumors his entire career as a Tiger, essentially. Um, so at this point, he's playing on a $5 million deal, um, which will, I mean, prorate to what, about $2 million at the deadline. Um, he's been very, very good this year. Um, he's turned his career around in the pen, and, and he's found a 2.2 ADRA this year. Um, overall, the numbers like him. Um, I think the thing with Michael Fulmer is I feel like the Tigers are going to be motivated to move him because they've tried for a long time um, and have not had success. Um, he is going to be someone that any team gets can rely on for multiple innings out of the pen. He's had the starter role. Um, obviously, in his career, he was mostly known as a starter until the last two years. 
Um, and like a lot of the failed starters, they do find success in that pen. Um, he's 29, so you're not looking at an old guy necessarily, but he definitely is a guy um, that you want if you have issues of long relief. Um, a big issue with Fulmer is that he does get hit fairly hard. However, his expected numbers are extremely, extremely high. Um, he does not let up a lot of base runners, um, but he's not getting a lot of chases, so he's a very interesting guy. Um, he's kind of just attacking guys. 64% slider usage this year, um, which is obviously well above league average, and he throws at 90 miles an hour. So you're looking at a cutter. I mean, realistically, it's probably a cutter, but it's it's what he's going to use um, to get you out. It's fastball slider combo, and he'll 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 flirt with a changeup and a curve, but that's not really what he's trying to do out of the pen. Um, I think that you know a guy like this is very valuable to teams who are dealing with starting depth issues. I know um, looking back on the Padres of last year, this guy would have been a great addition because they did not have deep pitching. Um, and they needed innings, and, and Fulmer could provide it. He's not going to warrant any top prospects. Um, let's be realistic. There's not going to be a big um, bidding war for Michael Fulmer, but I think he is a valuable piece to a team that needs innings, and as we know, innings are extremely valuable nowadays. Then they don't always have to be quality innings, but he's providing quality innings out of the pen. Um, he's appeared in 37 games this year and only pitched 36 innings, so he's really been utilized as a back-end guy for the Tigers. Um, he does have two saves. Not that a team that trades for him is probably going to use him as a closer. Um, but I really think that Fulmer could be a valuable addition to any team who just kind of needs a little bit of middle relief depth, someone who can give them one to two innings per outing. Um, I, like I said, there's an endless list of depth and, and options, and we could guess any number of teams on this guy. Um, and we could be right and wrong in any, any scenario here. Um, just kind of looking at at who could use a guy like this, this might be a little bit of a stretch, but I'm going to look at the Yankees. I know they've looked at Michael Fulmer in the past, and, and they've been in trade rumors with him before. The reason that I think Fulmer is a good fit for the Yankees is they just lost Michael King. Uh, he's going to be out for, I believe, the entire season, if I'm not wrong at this point. Um, they had to get yeah, surgery on his entire season, so he's done. Now, obviously, Michael King is better than Michael Fulmer. I think that's pretty obvious. Um, but he had been giving them quality innings. He was not a one or one inning reliever. He had been giving them plenty of innings. The Yankees don't have to necessarily make a huge splash relief pitching-wise. Um, they've gotten a lot of production and a lot of surprising production this year out of their pen. Um, but I think a guy like Michael Fulmer could really kind of solidify the middle inning roles for them and, and kind of help them into the playoffs. And, and if he can provide some late inning assistance here and there, obviously the Yankees wouldn't complain. I wonder what your thoughts are on Fulmer and his potential outlook for other teams. Yeah, I think that's a good way to put it. He's he's a stabilizer. You know, He's not going to come in and be you know some guy that you trust your ninth inning to every night. Um, right. Not that he's not good. He's certainly, you know, we just said, yeah, 228 ERA since he – since he switched to the pen uh, last year. But, yeah, I mean, he's not really a flashy addition. And, you know, as we're talking about this, you know, you might be thinking, you know, Chafin, Fulmer, you know, what are these guys talking about? Top 10 trade candidates. Um, <laughs> it's, you know, yeah, yeah where's, where's Brian Reynolds and you know, Cedric Mullins? Um, 
this list was made as kind of a balance of who is most likely to be moved and also who will net the most return. Um, you know, so some of the bigger name players are a lot less likely to be moved. Those, you know, just the guys that I don't mention, Mullins and um, Reynolds have what, three, four years of control remaining. So it's highly unlikely that they're going to be traded um, at the deadline or even this off season or even next deadline. Um, they're just good players. So people are yeah. interested in them. Um, but yeah, so I, I definitely think you got a good overview of Fulmer there. Um, as for landing spots, yeah, it's totally up in the air. Uh, you're right. The Yankees, um, their right-handed bullpen depth is definitely a little thin. Obviously they have Clay Holmes world beating out of the world, out of the uh, bullpen there, but behind him, Jonathan, the wise guy struggled this year. They don't have too much depth um, behind them. So yeah, he could be a, a good fit there. Um, but then again, you know, there's plenty of other teams that need pitching as well. The Phillies always, 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 always need pitching. Corey Knable has been atrocious for that. Not really atrocious, but he, he has definitely not, you know, solved their relief pitching woes. Um, so I could definitely see Fulmer going to the Phillies or a dozen other teams, honestly. But if you're going to make me pick, I'll go with the Phillies. I'd feel bad for him going to the Phillies because every time they trade for a relief pitcher, their career <laughs> automatically goes downhill. Um, so that would suck for him. But, you know, it's you know the Phillies are going to probably trade for two relief pitchers that are middling relievers um, that have had good years, and they're going to go there, and their year is going to double. It happens every year. So, yep. And if you get traded to the Rays, your ERA gets halved. Yeah, it's uh, there is definitely a truth to organizational philosophy. Um, that's a whole nother, whole another podcast episode we could have on that one. <laughs> we could have a whole season on that. Oh my gosh, yeah. Do not want to get drafted by the Rockies, but if you get drafted by the Rays, you have a chance. <laughs> so, um. Yeah, anyway, off that topic, uh, kind of want to touch on David Robertson coming up here, that final relief pitcher. Yeah, highest-ranked reliever. Uh, David Robertson, he's been closing games for the Cubs this year. Um, yeah, probably the most surprising name on this list. Maybe, well, maybe Fulmer as well, but um, he really looked like he was on the decline from 2019 to 21. Um, but the Cubs took a flyer on him this offseason, they only made him a three and a half million dollar guarantee, um, super cheap deal. But man, it paid off big time. He's been the primary closer, um, picked up thirteen saves, sub two ERA, uh, thirty seven and a third innings pitched. He leans very heavily on a high spin, ninety three mile an hour cutter. It actually has the highest spin of any cutter in the majors this year, um, and he has absolutely mowed down everybody, lefties and righties alike. A 147 batting average against uh, with a 32% strikeout rate. Absolutely dominant. Uh, he does walk a few more hitters than you'd like to see, but he makes up for it with a heavy dose of strikeouts and grounders as well. And yeah, just like the other two, every team in the hunt would love to have him in their pen. And unlike the other two, probably uh, several would definitely plug him directly into the ninth inning. Um Interestingly, this is the second year in a row that the Cubs have the top reliever available at the deadline. 
Um, mm-hmm. Although last year's trade of Craig Kimbrell isn't quite comparable because he had an extra year of control. He had a club option, uh, I think a $16 million club option that the White Sox picked up and then traded him to the Dodgers. Um, yeah, so the bidding for Robertson will definitely be intense, um, and it pretty much will all come down to which players the Cub scouting department likes the most. Um, he's having a seller year, you know, really good, but he's still a rental reliever and that just caps his value. Um, I still find it hard to believe that the Cubs could land a top 100 type player, uh, top 100 prospect for two months of, of Robertson, um, no matter how good he's been. Um, but you know, I would, I would put the return in the ballpark of like, I don't know, a top 10, in uh, in some teams farm system plus maybe you know a lottery ticket guy uh, you know somebody from last year's international signing class or something like Detroit the Cubs are also looking to make a quick turnaround so teams that can offer near major league ready talent definitely are going to have the inside track on a deal but again it's tough to get that kind of value for a rental reliever where do you think he's going to go Logan you know this is going to sound biased, but I, I genuinely see a wonderful fit down here in San Diego. Um, when you look at the relief situation uh, going on, it's been shaky. It's not been good. It's not been elite. And going into a playoffs, you want to have guys you can trust. And I think the Padres have a lot of really good seven, eighth inning relievers. But I don't think that it's fair to say that Taylor Rogers is a shutdown closer, um, and I think it. And I think we've talked about this off off the air before. Um, getting Rogers and having Robertson as kind of a platoon playing matchups in the ninth inning, and the other guy going the eighth inning, that's pretty lethal. And if you play it correctly, um, I, I think that would be a really good uh, eight nine, depending on however you go based on matchups. I don't know what your thoughts are on that, but I really think that'd be a really good fit for us. Yeah, no, it certainly would be. Um, you know, Melvin has said, Bob Melvin, manager of the Padres, he said that he likes to have roles in the bullpen and establish closer. But um, yeah, I could, I could definitely see that being a pretty lethal um, game shortening bullpen combo there. Uh, for the Padres. Um, but obviously, they're not the only team in the mix. Um, some other teams that could be on the hunt for closers, uh, the Red Sox, Twins we mentioned before, Phillies, White Sox, Yankees, and even the Dodgers. Um, you know, I mean, I should say, White Sox, Yankees, Dodgers all have closers, but they could be in the mix for more right-handed pitching, relief pitching depth. Because, yeah, you know, we mentioned the Yankees already lacking depth a little bit. Um, the White Sox were supposed to have a really great bullpen, but they've been kind of injury marred and the Dodgers have as well. They have several players on the injured list right now. Um, yeah, I, I like the Padres fit, especially because um, they have, the Cubs also have two other players that the Padres are very interested in, in Ian Happ and Wilson Contreras, who we'll get to later. Um and that could be, you know, part of a package deal there. But, yeah, other than that, I, I could definitely see the Twins getting pretty aggressive. They definitely need 
more pitching, relief pitching and starting pitching if they want to go deep into the playoffs or even if they want to hold off the White Sox and the Guardians and win their division. Yeah, no, I totally agree. I think I think my next pick would probably be Twins for him. Um, and he just would make too much sense. It really would. Their bullpen's not good. So, um, Okay, well, let's get into the next guy, and we'll get into our first starting pitcher. Um, kind of a fun one in terms of not truly expected to have a good year. He kind of signs on with the Pittsburgh Pirates as kind of a flyer, try to get his career going, as you do if you want to. Uh, keep your career alive. You sign with the Pirates. Um, it used to be the Padres. Yeah, it used to be the Padres. Now it's the Pirates. Um, the thing with Quintana is obviously he's going to be extremely cheap, um, and so that won't really be an issue. The scary thing about him is that he is outperforming a lot of predictive stats. Um, he obviously he's a three pitch pitcher. Um, who's just going to focus on location, 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 and sequencing. Um, and you can see that in his chase rate, because he has a high chase rate, the 82 percentile of chase rate, um, but he does not throw hard, which is a pretty good indicator that he's tunneling and sequencing hitters very, very well this year. Um, and I think it's well known the Pirates do have a very good pitching coach, so you know probably a lot of props to him, um, sending him his way. But you look at a lot of these expected stats um, on Baseball Savant, and for those of you that don't know Baseball Savant, go look up Baseball Savant. It's a phenomenal page. But you're looking at an, a lot of these things are, that are telling you, they're screaming at us, regression, regression, regression. Um, and I don't necessarily think that it's going to be a fluke if he regresses. I, I really kind of see regression. Um, his fastball spin percentile is 13%, and his curveball is only 22nd. So he's not going to outspin yet. Like I said, he's going to tunnel and he's going to locate. And if he does not do one of those two things, he is going to get lit up. However, that does not mean he doesn't provide value. Because he does. He's started 19 games this year for the Pittsburgh Pirates. He has a 3.7 ERA. He's got 97 innings. So there's value there. And as we all know, the teams need pitching to get them down that stretch. You do not want to have a situation where you run out of starting pitching. Um, Padre fans know that way too well because it happened to them last year. I think there are some pretty obvious fits for Quintana. Um, I think you start, and really makes the most sense to me, and this will be my prediction, is going to be the Mets. Um, you've seen the flux in starting pitching that they've had to deal with. Um, it's been tough for them this year and they just need someone they can rely on to get them innings um, and they're going to hope to get just quality innings out of him I mean if they can that's a huge addition I could also see the Mariners going after him and using him as a starter and also a swing guy um, I think that would be very valuable for them but if I had to give an official prediction I'm looking at the New York Mets um, I, I really think that they they need a starting pitcher at the deadline for the sole fact that they can't rely on their guys to stay healthy because they haven't. And until they do, um, they're going to need a starting pitcher. And I could see them obviously going after some of the bigger names, but if they miss out, I really think the Mets are going to might have to settle with Quintana. Um, so kind of what, what they go in that route. What are your thoughts on, on Quintana, Johnny? Yeah, I mean, he's certainly not a flashy addition, but you know, all, you only have to look back at last deadline and the Cardinals. They traded for John Lester and Jay Happ. 
both of whom were, you know, in their late 30s. Lester has since retired. I don't even know what Hap is up to this year. He might have retired as well. And they were laughed at, you know, by a lot of people at the deadline. Like, you know, what are you doing? You know, this is what you come up with for your fan base, for your team. Um, but both of them were solid down the stretch. You know, I mean, they weren't, they weren't, you know, outstanding by any means, but they totally stabilized the Cardinals rotation. And, you know, what do you know? The Cardinals go on a huge run, storm into wildcard position and make the playoffs. Um, so yeah, Quintana can definitely be hugely valuable. Um, and I'll add in another thing in that he's even more valuable because there just aren't very many rental pitchers, rental starting pitchers on the market. Um, Noah Syndergaard might be dealt. Uh, the Angels have proven a bit stubborn uh, with regards to you know actually committing themselves as sellers in recent years. Um, you know, if Syndergaard isn't moved, if the Rockies don't part with Chad Cool, who for some reason seems to actually want to stay with them, first guy ever. Yeah, for real. If the Rangers don't trade Martin Perez, who they've said they want to extend, um, then you might be looking at Quintana and Jordan Lyles of the O's, who has a 4.76 ERA. I mean, there's really just not that much starting pitching available at the deadline. The Pirates are certainly going to have their choice of suitors. Um, I don't think they're going to get that much for him uh, because, you know, I mean, the man is coming off a six-plus ERA last year. So even if the peripherals were good, teams have to be a little bit suspicious. The fact that they aren't makes them even more suspicious. Um <laughs> But, you know, somebody is going to be desperate enough to just hope, you know, that he can keep getting lucky for the rest of the year. I could see the Red Sox slapping a number 41 on his back and telling him to pretend to be Chris Sale. (laughs) Um, (laughs) uh, Maybe the Brewers, who have been dealing with some starting pitching injuries. Twins, again, you know, need pitching this year. Um, Yeah, any of those teams could certainly be in the mix. The Cardinals could try a, a repeat of last year's deadline. Yeah, and, and besides Wainwright, their rotation has been really bad. That's honestly a really good really good fit, to be honest. <laughs> That's That seems too natural from what they did last year. <laughs> yeah, if it ain't broke, don't fix it. Right, why not? All right, you want to move into the big three starters? Yeah, let's get into the. Well, I gotta say, big two and a half. I'm not gonna, not I'm right, not gonna right. say Tyler's a big three. All right, so Tyler Molly. So he is a big rental guy. Um, or excuse me, non-rental guy. Um, first guy we're gonna get into that's not really a rental. He's owed five million this year, and then he has one more year of eligible arbitration. Um, kind of curious what what your breakdown of, of him would be because he's not, you're not going to look at his ERA and say, Oh yeah, he's a great guy to go get. But why, why is he, why is he rated so high on this list by only trade rumors? Yeah. I mean, for a guy that you might not have even heard of, I'm here to tell you that he's going to command a big haul at the deadline. First of all, just the fact that he has a year plus of control remaining is hugely valuable. Um, you know, teams could acquire him even if they're not really in contention this year 
because they want to shore up next year's rotation. So that expands his market, um, makes him a lot more valuable. Um, he got off to a slow start. You mentioned his ERA wasn't wasn't that good. Um, what's it like? You know, mid four ish. Yeah, it's four and a half essentially. Yeah, um, he got off to a really rough start, um, but he's pitched to a three five one ERA since the beginning of May. Uh, with pretty strong peripherals as well. And he put up similar numbers over the last two years as well. Very strong 2020 and a solid year last year. And with the Reds way out of contention, um, he is definitely a valuable piece for them to trade uh, to maximize his value. Um, He's not really going to blow you away with any one thing. Um, He has, you know, basically just above average stats and pitches all across the board 94 mile an hour fastball good spin uh solid change up that's his best secondary pitch also mixes in a slider and a cutter um he struck out 26 percent of hitters above average he's walked about nine which is a little higher than you want um he is a fly ball pitcher so he's definitely been bitten by the home run ball especially at home um his era at home in cincinnati is actually about two runs higher than on the road over the last three years, which is pretty significant. So, you know, that might kind of make teams with hitter-friendly ballparks shy away. Um, But, you know, he has proven that he can be a successful pitcher, um, even while giving up his fair share of home runs. But, you know, given that, you know, fly ball tendency, it might be more likely for a team like, say, the Giants, um, who have a great pitcher's park, uh, for a home ballpark and also are kind of looking towards 2023 uh, with their window seemingly closing for this year. Um, I could definitely see the Giants uh, making a run at Molly at the deadline. What do you think, Logan? Yeah, no, I think Giants are really good, really good fit for him. Um, I'm going to kind of steer a little bit more into the American League Central. Um, I see three teams in that division who could all use him. Uh, the Twins, Guardians, and White Sox. I'm going to kind of weed out the Guardians, um, but I think he's a, he's a type of pitcher that they would go after. Um, I do see the White Sox and the Twins going after him. I think that would be good fits for both of them. Um, like you said, he's pitched really well on the road this year, and the reality is this. He has a high walk rate, and he's, if you walk people in Cincinnati, you're going to get punished. You can't do that. So getting him out of Cincy, that's going to help. Um, I'm going to go with the Twins. I think the Twins end up going after him. He's a guy, again, who I feel like a team like the Twins, who is an underrated team for getting the most out of a lot of pitching, I feel like it's a team that might just hone in on him and go after him and go out and get him and add him to that rotation. Because um, like you said earlier, they really want to get into the playoffs this year. They've Some might say they've overperformed, but either way, the White Sox have underperformed and they have a chance to make the playoffs. So I think they're going to go for it, and I think this might be a guy because, again, they did not necessarily expect to be in this position, um, but they are. And even if, for whatever reason, it doesn't work out this year, they have him again next year. And that rotation depth next year for the Twins just got a lot scarier because this year it's good. It's going to be really good next year when, when they have him and, ideally, Chris Paddock, if I dare say, if he's, you know, if he's healthy. But, again, that, that rotation there in Minnesota could be really good for the next two years with that addition. Yeah, that's a that's a good take. Um, you mentioned the Guardians. It seems like you know, not even 
a possibility that they could trade for a starter. They're always the ones trading away starters. They just seem to make them like they grow on trees in Cleveland. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I think I think the Twins are a fit. Um, I actually see them aiming a little bit higher. Uh, preview for the next couple names on the list. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, they could definitely be a fit for Molly. Um, I, I mentioned the Giants. They're probably the best fit for me on paper. Um, but I would also give the Mariners pretty high odds for acquiring Molly. Um, for one thing, the M's and the Reds already completed a trade this year, uh, the one involving Eugenio Suarez and Jesse Winker. Um, so they've, you know, scouted out each other's farm systems already. Um, so that could kind of get the wheels greased on, a, uh, on another trade, perhaps for Molly. Yeah, no, I could definitely see that. So let's kick it off with kind of our big name guys, the guys that y'all probably came here to listen for anyway. Let's start with Frankie Montas up in Oakland. So as you guys know, Montas is going to be a two-year controllable guy. Um, five million this year, obviously arbitration will get him up probably four to five million dollars more the next year. So team's got to be aware of that, though. That shouldn't be a deterrent. Um, with Montas, you're going to have to be okay giving up some pretty good prospect value. He is probably a number two starter in most scenarios. Um, this year, he's pitched to a 3-1-6 ERA in 18 starts now. Teams are going to have to be aware that he does have that shoulder injury that sidelined him for maybe missing two or three starts, but you know that's not a huge issue. He has come back from that, and he has pitched well. So Montas has done everything well since he's come into the Oakland A's organization. He has progressed um, as you'd like any starting pitcher to. He's a big dude. He's 6'2", 255. Um, he's going to showcase a fastball, a 96, a changeup, slider, and cutter. Um, and he's got good spin on all of them, and he gets a lot of chases. He's a strikeout guy. He's going to strike a lot of guys out, and he's not really going to walk a ton of guys. Um, so he's a, he's a really good fit for any team in baseball. There's no team in baseball that has a rotation that is completely better than Montas. However, there's obviously going to be teams that can meet that price range and that are going to be willing to meet that price range. Um, a big thing with Montas is you're getting durability and you're getting good starting pitching. So a team that is legit contention is going to want him. It's not going to be a meddling team um, by any means, though it could make sense because, you know, as I said, they want two years of control over Montas. Um, however, I personally, for a guy like Montas, see a team that is contention for this year paying him out. Um, and, and there's a lot of lot of teams interested. The Brewers are going to be interested. I'm sure the Twins will knock on the door. I'm sure the White Sox are going to look into it. I'm sure the Red Sox will. I mean, Yankee. I could go over any team that you think is in contention. They're going to ask about Montas, I guarantee you. Um, for me, I personally think Montas is going to end up in the American League West. I see the Mariners as an extremely good fit for Montas. Um, I know it's an interdivision trade, and I know there's extremely rare for a guy who's controllable. Um, the Mariners are a young, feisty team, and I feel like they're going to be willing to dish that out to Oakland this year. Again, it's, this is probably an extremely hot take, but I really do think the Mariners, they've seen Montas, they know his value, and the A's are not going to be competitive in the next two years, so they really don't care about it from that way. The Mariners are just going to have to stomach seeing those prospects in the next 
five to ten years. Um, but for where the Mariners are at, it just makes way too much sense. It really does. Um, and maybe I'm over um, kind of stretching on this one, and, and I will be the first to admit I'm wrong when he doesn't go there because he probably won't. But I just, I don't know, interdivision trades, I know they don't happen, but I just love that fit for Seattle. I know you're going to say I'm stupid, and that's fine, but where do you think he's going to end up? You're stupid, Logan. No, I'm just kidding. Um, <laughs> I took a pretty good look here because we have a really unique situation uh, because the A's have traded <laughs> like uh, you know tons of players off in the last year. So we actually can get a pretty good look, pretty good idea of what their strategy is. So um, we can look at Sean Manaya, who they traded to the Padres, obviously, just before the season. Um, so they received for Sean Manaya, who's a one-year starting pitching rental, um, a teenage infielder, Uribo Angelis, who is now their number nine prospect, and a 25-year-old AAA starter, Adrian Martinez, who's now their 20, number 20 prospect. Um, in the Matt Olson deal with the Braves, they got MLB-ready prospects Christian Pache, who's now their start- starting center fielder, and Shea Langliers, who is a catcher and their number one overall prospect. Um, as well as a couple younger right-handers, Ryan Kusick, their number seven, and Joey Estes, their number 14 prospects. Um, and then in the Matt Chapman deal with the Blue Jays, they got 2021 draftee Gunnar Hogland, right-handed pitcher, who's now their number five prospect, and three MLB-ready players, infielder Kevin Smith, who's been playing for them semi-regularly, and left-handed pitchers Zach Logue and Kirby Snead, who also made, uh, who also, uh, made the roster. Uh, for some parts of the year for Oakland this year. So it looks like the A's are seeking a mix of highly regarded young prospects and cheap MLB ready players. Um, They kind of hit the jackpot on both with the Olsen deal uh, with Pache and Langliers, but that's just because Olsen uh, was, you know, (laughs) Matt Olsen. Yeah, he's Matt Olsen. So yeah, they were definitely going to get a ton for him. Um, They're not going to be able to get, that much, you know, I mean, obviously they're going to get a big return for Montes, but I don't think they're going to find their new number one prospect here uh, for Montes. It's going to be at least a top 100 prospect for sure, plus others, Um, but not quite on the same level as a Matt Olson deal. Um, But that's just too high of a bar. I think actually the um, Matt Chapman deal is a pretty good comp here. I think they could get something along the lines of, you know, uh, a draftee from last year or another young guy who is really highly regarded. Um, and then also a few guys who they can plug into their team next year who might turn out to be good. You know, guys in the upper minors who are performing well and, um, who Oakland can plug in for the major league minimum. As for Fitz, you mentioned the Mariners. Yeah, definitely, you know, interdivision trade. It's it's tough. Um, same kind of list as for Molly. Um, but yeah, as you mentioned, he, he kind of seems too good to waste on a team that's not in contention this year. So the Giants mm, seems a little more unlikely. Um, the Blue Jays, though. I see the Blue Jays as as really being in on Montes. We we were debating this earlier with um, with Chafin 
And I said, I don't think they're going to be super aggressive for a rental, but Montas is a guy who I could see them being really aggressive for a lot like what they did with Jose Barrios last year. Um, Controllable starting pitching is super valuable and I can definitely see the Blue Jays ponying up uh, several top prospects for Frankie Montas. No, I could definitely see the Blue Jays doing that as well. It's probably a more realistic one, but hey, if I'm right with the Mariners, I'm going to look extremely smart. I'll probably be the only person in the world who gets that <laughs> one, so um, might as well take the take the guess there. Do you want to kick off our, our legendary yeah. starting All pitcher right. here? Best starting pitcher available at the deadline. You know, it's not that. It's not that um, different, you know, between him and Montas. But Luis Castillo of the Reds, uh, pretty inarguably the best starting pitcher available. Um, him and Montas are, are going to be the real blockbusters of the deadline. And we should mention, though, I mean, we say this like they're going to be traded, but all three of these guys, Montas, Molly, and Castillo, have an extra year of control. So these teams are not forced to trade them. They can trade them over the offseason. They could trade them at next deadline, but their value will never be as high as it is now. They're all pitching well. They're all on bad teams. Um, yeah. And it would be the smart baseball play to trade them all. Um, I'm very confident that Montas will be moved because the A's always make the smart baseball play. The Reds are a little more of a wild card. And also, you know, you could say, well, we'll just trade one of them. You know, we can replenish the farm system with one of them, keep the other one around so we don't get embarrassed too much on the field. Um, but let's face it, the Reds are already getting embarrassed. They might as well stock up the farm. Um, all right, so let's jump into Castillo. Despite missing all of April with a shoulder injury, he has not missed a beat. He was selected to the All-Star game for the second time in his career this year. He has a 277 ERA. Um, and a total of a 3-4-9 ERA over the past four seasons. Um, he's also incredibly durable. In his entire career, the only starts he's missed due to injury were this season, despite the fact that he throws incredibly hard, top-notch arsenal, fastball can touch triple digits, devastating changeup, and also an above-average slider. Solid strikeout and walk numbers, but he really excels when it comes to inducing ground balls. Um, his 49% ground ball rate would actually be his lowest in the last four years. Um, he consistently sat in the mid 50% range over the last few years. Um, and there's really no reason to think he won't bounce back to those levels. Um, and even if he didn't, he still has the raw stuff to just bully his way through most lineups in the league. Um, he's an ace. It's, there's really no question about it. You know, you said Montas was a two Castillo is, is a one and a half probably. Um, yeah, he's he's an ace on a lot of teams, and if not that, certainly the number two pitcher. Um, yeah, also like Montas, he's going to command a haul. I mean, somebody's going to have to pay up big time, especially because the Reds aren't forced to trade him. The Reds are certainly going to find themselves in possession of several new names within their top ten prospects uh, after this, if they do trade Castillo. Um, Unfortunately, they don't really have the recent trade history like the A's. Um, all their recent trades have been of the salary dump variety. Uh, <laughs> so not really the same kind of deal here. Um, but uh, no matter what they target, quantity, quality, MLB ready, you know, all those 
attractive things, um, it's going to be a lot. Um, he's only are making $7 million this year, one more arbitration raise next year. Um, that shouldn't really deter any contender. Um, and I mentioned before that I thought the Twins might aim higher than Molly. They could also be in for Montas, but I have the Twins wow. paying up for Luis Castillo. Wow, that's going an all aggressive. In. They have shown they're going to be aggressive. They have shown they're going to be aggressive. They signed Correa, man. They've already, they are aggressive. They are all in for 2022. They know their window is closing. They're trying to keep it open. You know, they know they're only going to have Correa for this year. Um, so Castillo, it would be huge for them. Absolutely. <laughs> they should trade Castillo for Correa. Yeah, that works. <laughs> Um, no, dude, that's interesting. Yeah, I guess when you look at the when you look at the twins, man, are they really gonna go for it this year? It's just it's so unexpected that they're in this position, and not because of how they're playing necessarily, it's because of the White Sox. But yeah, that's an interesting one. That's really interesting. I'm dead set, and, I, and I'm I'm willing to put this one to the bank. I think he ends up being a Los Angeles Dodger, and I and I'm very very confident in it. Um, when I look at the Dodgers rotation, obviously Bueller's Eh, been not himself. Um, and he's hurt, so you got to take that in consideration. Kershaw's been Kershaw. I mean, he's been Hall of Fame Kershaw. Do you expect regression? I do. I don't think he pitches to what he's been doing. Tony Glonsolin, he's going to regress. There's just no doubt in my mind about that one. Um, Anderson, there's no shot that he continues doing what he's doing. The Dodgers are going to look at the rotation that they have right now, and they're going to tell themselves, we need a surefire one, two to pair with Kershaw. And I think they're just going to go and get Castillo because they're not going to go get Soto, in my opinion. They're not going to go get one of these top hitters. They're going to trust that offense because that offense is lethal and they don't really have holes. The one area where I feel like the Dodgers could get bit in the playoffs is an inexperienced, overperforming rotation. Castillo solidifies it, throwing 99 at the top of the zone, and then you drop in Kershaw game two or you go Castillo, or you go Kershaw game one, and then you go Castillo game two. I mean, that's just, that is lethal, lethal one-two for the Dodgers. I think they pony up. I think they give what the Reds what they want. Um, and I think this is finally the year that Castillo does get moved. I'm extremely confident that he gets traded this year. I do not think the Reds are going to wait another year because I think they're going to get the offer that they are hoping they've always gotten, and it's going to come from the Dodgers. It pains me to hear how much that makes sense, but you're absolutely right. It definitely does. Yeah, and it sucks. Like you said, it really sucks because um, I know he's going to dominate whoever he plays in the playoffs. He's he's just disgusting on the mound. Um, but if you make the playoffs, you got to expect to face good pitching. So, but I just I just don't see another. I mean, I see other fits, but I don't think anyone can compete with the Dodgers when they get motivated, um, as they showed last trade deadline when they got Scherzer and Turner. I see them ponying up here and, and going after Castillo, and I see them completing that deal. Unfortunately for us Padre fans, anything else you want to say on Castillo, or are you kind of good to move into our hitting core? No. Yeah, let's move on to some rental bats. Yeah, so this one's fun because he has been, well, two years ago he gets traded to Washington, talking about Josh Bell here. It's it's a very interesting interesting guy because he had prospect status high prospect status with Pittsburgh 
he showed really good signs um, for a half of a season. So he's traded to Washington. Kind of struggled, but now has found his way. He's a rental bat. He's making $10 million this year, and he's going to be a free agent next year at the age of 30. So he's in his quote-unquote prime years, if you will. Josh Bell is a switch-hitting first baseman. So just for the sole fact that he's a first baseman, it's going to limit his suitors. However, with the universal DH, there's obviously going to be more suitors than there would be had there not been a universal DH. Uh, obviously, that's a an easy sediment to take. However, it's not. Um, it's very important for the Nationals because that almost doubles their suitors, if not triples, because if there wasn't a DH, no one would probably look at him. There would be very few teams. He's hitting the ball very hard this year. He's doing almost everything you'd like to see out of a first baseman DH type. Um, he's not striking out. He's walking a lot. The only thing he doesn't do is run, and he's he's slow as crap. But other than that, I mean, you're looking at a guy you're going to add to the your your order, and he's going to be your two-hitter, a switch-hitting two-hitter um, who just rakes, and he rakes, and he rakes. Um, if you look at statistics, he's hitting 305 this year. He's got an 884 OPS. Ball's left the yard 13 times off of his bat. Um, he's really had an underrated career, I feel like, because, I mean, he's a career eight. 24 OPS guy. I'm kind of surprised when I saw that because to me, it's mm. not seem like he's had that great of a career, but he really has. Just maybe not the expectation his prospect status was was uh, alluding to prior to it. But I think Josh Bell is going to get a, a decent stature for the Nationals, and you're not going to really get a better return on a rental guy who's not a superstar. I mean, he's just going to get you a solid return. They can probably get one really good prospect, or they can go the route of probably getting two, maybe three average prospects, kind of depending on what they're looking for. Um, and I'm sure that'll change depending on what Soto does. But if they trade Soto, obviously for Bell, they probably look for more depth guys. However, fits-wise, there's quite a few. I think, you know, the Padres make sense. They need a switch hitting bat. Um, there's a lot of teams like, you know, the Phillies could use a switch hitting bat. The Mets have been looking for mostly right-handed power, but this is a guy that, honestly, most teams can find a spot for if they really need it. Um, I'd say the Brewers as another fit. Um, there's a lot of, a lot of, a lot of fits. Um, for me, I think at the end of the day, I, Josh Bell, it's, it's a really tough one here because, like I said, there's, there's a lot of fits, but there's also not a lot of fits. I don't know. It, it, it's a tough scenario. Um, I think that he ends up going to Houston. I think the Astros go after another bat this deadline. We haven't really talked with them about any of the other big-name guys. I think the Astros might end up going after Bell. I think he'd be a great fit for that lineup. Um, it's been a lineup that obviously is centered around Jordan Alvarez, Kyle Tucker, Bregman, Altuve. But just think how scary that is. And we don't talk a lot about the Astros because their pitching's been good, their hitting's been good. So it's like, do they really need upgrades? But if they get Josh Bell, I mean, Guriel is not who he was anymore. He has declined massively. He is not slugging at all. He's not adjusted to the new baseball. And quite frankly, he's like 100 years old. So I don't know how much longer he has in the league. I think Bell replaces him, pushes him to the bench, and I think you're going to see Bell play a lot in Houston. I'm kind of interested where your fits are for Bell because I think he's kind of a tough one to fit, in my opinion, somewhere. 
Yeah, yeah, I agree. Um, you mentioned the Padres. As much as I would like to have him, I still struggle to see them offloading Osmer's contract. Yeah. Um, and without that, there's really no point in getting Bell. Um, I like the Brewers fit. I like the Brewers fit. He seems like kind of a similar profile to guys they've targeted in years past. Jesus Aguilar, Eduardo Escobar, those kind of players. Yep. Um, yeah, so I don't know. You, 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 you think they can get him a top 100 prospect? You said one very good prospect. I don't know. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know if I say very good. It's it's a tough one because he's he's good. He's really good. I mean, he quite honestly is a really good player. And the thing with Bell is, should the Nationals trade him? Yes, but they don't have to. And that's the thing. Again, you you alluded to it earlier. No team has to trade anyone. So unless you're just desperately trying to get rid of some starting pitcher you know is going to regress, the Nationals don't have to get rid of. Quite honestly, their second best hitter in their lineup. They don't. Should they? Probably. They're not going to win this year, but they don't have to. I don't know what kind of return they can get, but they can set their bar. They don't have to move. Yeah, that's that's definitely true. Um, all right, let's move on to the number two ranked trade candidate by MLB Trade Rumors. Kansas City Royals left fielder Andrew Benintendi. Um this is actually a uh, bit of a triumph for Benintendi to even be featured here at all because he was having an atrociously year last year. Um, but this year, he finds himself in the top five in the AL batting race in 318, um, playing very good left field. Uh, a lot of people don't really know that about him, but he is a gold glove left fielder, um, provides a lot of value on the defensive end as well. Um and just an all-around solid hitter. He's not going to slug very much. Only thirty, oh, only um, three home runs, thirty-nine RBIs. Um, but he's walking a solid amount, ten point five percent, and he's only striking out thirteen point seven percent. So walks almost as much as he strikes out. That's hugely valuable and very rare, obviously, in today's game. Um, even without the slugging, uh, he gets on base a lot. So he can still provide a lot of offensive value and couple that with his strong defense. And he is on a really good pace this year. Um, lots of clubs would love to have Benintendi. Um, again, the Padres have certainly been mentioned. They have a deficit in the outfield. Their outfielders have been pretty atrocious this year, bottom third in offensive production. Um, he could definitely be a fit there. Um, but plenty of other teams as well. What are you thinking, Logan? Yeah, this isn't going to be a hot take by any means because he's already been rumored to be uh, looked at by this organization. I think he goes to the Yankees. They don't need a power bat. He's not a power bat. He's going to poke some out down the right field line. Um, But what they need is another guy who can just hit for really good average in the outfield and provide them some more depth and and numbers out there because Stanton, Judge, while they are playing amazing this year and they've stayed healthy, they have not proven they can. Um, so it would be a smart addition. Uh, Brett Gardner 2.0, essentially, he looks the same. So, <laughs> you know, it makes sense to me it's for the Yankees. Kind of, what, what are your thoughts? I mean, I don't see him coming to the Padres. At the end of the day, I would be disappointed. So are you thinking Yankees, or what, what are you going with your mind there? Yeah, that's, that's pretty good. Why would you be disappointed? He's a good player. No, nah, I think he's going to regress. I think it's I don't think he's going to be good. And we need power. 
He just hits a bunch of singles. You don't buy the breakout. That's true. That's true. The Padres do need do need slugging. Um, yeah, it, that would uh, I would bring back memories of Adam Frazier trades. Yes, big time of last year. Big time. Yeah. So yeah, I I think I think you're actually pretty pretty spot on there with the Yankees as a good fit. Another guy to get on for Judge three run bombs. <laughs> yeah, no, for real, and and it's just. There's a lot of fits, but there's not a lot of like perfect fits. It just seems like a perfect fit in New York. I don't know. To me, when I look at all the teams, it just that makes the most sense. So, all right, let's get to MLB Trainer's number one prospect, or excuse me, prospect is in prospect list. Number one uh, trade deadline candidate here to be traded, and it's going to be Wilson Contreras. Don't worry, we'll get to Soto. Don't worry, but we're going to stick with MLB Trade Rumors for now. Wilson Contreras. Coveted catcher in baseball, arguably the best catcher in baseball behind the GOAT, Alejandro Kirk, this year. So with Wilson, you're looking at a rental. He's making $9.5 million. You know what you're getting. You're going to get a catcher who can slug, who pitchers usually have at least publicly said they like pitching to. He's an all-around good player. Uh, The biggest thing with Wilson He's a catcher, like I said, so that limits the teams that are looking at him. Um, And so that's going to be the toughest situation for the Cubs is making sure that a team that needs him gets him. Um, I don't think they're going to have an issue, though, because he is just such a good hitter. He's a good enough hitter to where he can be a DH for some teams. And I'm sure there are teams that are looking at him where they're saying, yeah, if he doesn't catch for us, he's going to be a DH. I know the Padres have looked at him, and I know that name's been rumored around Padre land for a long, long time. I don't think it happens. To be honest, I'm going to kind of steer my direction away from the Padres. Again, he has an 843 OPS this year. He's just crushing the ball. He's walking, striking out averagely. He does chase. Um, he is a average defender. But when it really comes down to it, you're not going to find too many other catchers that hit like Contreras. And I don't think the, the Cubs are going to necessarily have to get a ton back I mean like I said it's going to be a similar return to Bell in my opinion it might be slightly better but nothing too ridiculously better a team that I think okay I think there's two teams that end up coming down to Wilson Contreras at the end of the day I think it's going to come down to the New York Mets and the Houston Astros now obviously I predicted Bell to go to the Astros and if that happens I don't necessarily see them jumping on Contreras the Mets are a very top-heavy offense. Their bottom three, four in the lineup is very, very suspect. I think he goes to the Mets. I think the Mets make their big splash with Wilson Contreras here. Um, it just makes so much sense. Their catching has not been producing at all. They need guys back there. They're signing guys off the street, essentially, to play catcher for them. <laughs> I see him going to the Mets. I'm curious where, where you see him fitting because there is a very – narrow selection of teams that can actually even go after him yeah those two are definitely the big ones um the astros are in a bit of a tough position because they have gotten absolutely no production (laughs) out of martin maldonado from the offensive end but on the other hand the pitching staff love him they all love throwing to him he is universally regarded as a great game caller um and it's always tough, you know, when you're trading catchers mid-season 
they get over and they've got to learn a whole new pitching staff in two months in time for the playoffs. And some front offices are just not comfortable with that kind of risk. Um, so it's definitely a, a consideration there. Um, but yeah, I think those two would definitely be the front runners for Contreras. Yeah, no, that's an extremely good point that you bring up there. I think with the Astros, that probably is a reason that they, he doesn't end up going there. Um, even though Maldonado is literally worthless at the plate, he provides stuff behind the plate. And whether it's placebo or if he's really just good back there, at the end of the day, the Astros pitching staff have been extremely good. And like you say, I think it is extremely important, and I do agree with front offices in this aspect to where if your pitching staff is doing well with the catchers you have, you need to just make those catchers work. You need them to perform. you got to go fill other areas. And I think the Astros should do that. The Mets have been pitching well, but they're at the point where it's like they have a revolving door of catchers. They haven't had a consistent guy all year. That's why I think he fits best there anyway. Yeah, the Astros are going to trade for Contreras, and then Verlander's fastball is going to go down to 94, and Valdez's well, <laughs> curveball is going to stop moving. <laughs> right. How much of that is yeah, how much of that is just made up and – we know baseball players, they're weird. Baseball players are weird. Though I can say from a personal perspective, I definitely feel more comfortable pitching to certain catchers. So I don't necessarily oh, yeah. disagree with the notion by any means. Um, all right, well, before we get into the big, big name, Juan Soto, the next Ted Williams, if he's not already there, let's kind of talk about guys that we might think are not either mentioned on lists yet that could kind of pop up last minute or maybe some bold predictions or someone who just didn't make the cut in our top 10 that you want to discuss really quick. Who, who would that be for you? Yeah, this is just about the opposite of a bold prediction, honestly. Oh, okay. Um, but we talked about him in our all-star game breakdown and I'm going to highlight Brandon Drury of the mm. Reds. He actually comes in at number 13 on MLB trade rumors, uh, top 50 list. And He's just good. Like, nobody expected this. He was a minor league signing. He will almost certainly go down as the best minor league signing of this offseason. He's hitting 275. On base is solid. He's slugging over 500. Just solid everywhere. Um, He's played all four infield positions this year, so he has plenty of versatility. Also has prior experience in the outfield corners, so he can fit on a lot of different clubs. He's barreling up balls at a career high rate. He looks, you know, like he's having a sustainable late career breakout. Um, He may be, you know, a bit of a great American ballpark product, at least in terms of the power, but he's also homered nine times, or he's also homered eight times on the road compared to nine times at home. So, you know, it looks, it looks pretty, uh, pretty solid there. Um, So, Pretty much every contender could use a bat like that. I don't think the Reds are going to get a spectacular return. Um, I don't know. I don't know how much front offices place value on name recognition, but they certainly won't get any with Brandon Drury. No. But uh, either way, I mean, he's basically free. He's playing on a nine hundred thousand dollar salary, less than a million, um, and only what like four hundred k is going to be left to pay off at the deadline. Um, so yeah, just like an under the radar guy who your team might acquire and you go, who the heck is this? And, uh, he's actually really good or he has been this year at least. 
No, that that's it's it's a very surprising one. Like you said, it's it may not be a hot take, but it's an extremely surprising one. Had anyone told you that he'd be a a coveted rental bat at the deadline prior to this year? I mean, as soon as the name Brandon Drury came out of my mouth, I could hear all of our listeners yawn simultaneously. Yeah, it's it's not an exciting name, but it's someone that if he comes to your team, hey, you you will be satisfied with. So I definitely have an extremely bold one here. Um, I'm ex- I'm excited to hear what you have to say about this one. Oh boy! I think that the and, and Red Sox fans, cover your ears. You may hate this. Sander Bogarts, you're gone. He's going to get Ooh, traded wee. by the Red Sox by the deadline. Wow. They are plummeting right now. They look like a five-year-old baseball team on the field. They're <laughs> making 50 errors a game at minimum, and they're not even like booting balls. They don't know how to cover first base. They don't know how to field a ground ball in an outfield. They don't know how to look in the sky and catch a fly ball. I mean, I- I'm serious. I've never seen this happen before in a major league team, and they just they lost by the to the Blue Jays by like 50 runs combined in this series. Obviously, I'm exaggerating a lot of these numbers, but it feels like that, and Red Sox fans were booing, booing big time. Their 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 team that was put out in the field, and I completely understand. It was embarrassing, and it quite it really is embarrassing. So, look, they signed Trevor Story, big contract. It made a little confusing at the time, though it made sense when you thought about the fact that they're not probably going to be able to retain Xander Bogarts because they also have Devers to extend at some point. And you're going to extend Devers over Bogarts any day of the week. He's just simply a better hitter. Okay, hear me out here. The Philadelphia Phillies have, year in, year out, gone after star-studded players. They do not have that great of a left side of the infield. Don't get me wrong, Didi's been fine. But they need to make the playoffs. They're going to continue to do what they do every year, and they're going to just try to make splash and hope you know, they hit water when they fall out of the boat. They're not going to. They're going to miss the playoffs. But I'm telling you, the Phillies are going to come out of nowhere. They're going to trade for Bogarts. They're going to give up a decent amount. Bogarts has really not been that phenomenal this year in terms of predictive stats. It's not what you would love to see and what you're used to seeing out of him. But at the end of the day, he has an 831 OPS. He's driving in runs. He's hitting 313. He can DH for them. He can, yeah, he sucks defensively. I mean, we all know that. Though he actually, according to outs above average, has been above average this year. So he's playable at shortstop. I can see them doing a revolving platoon door with Bohm, DD, him, DH, all this stuff. They can figure it out. Big, bold predictions. Xander Bogarts, you're a Philadelphia Philly at the end of the deadline. That's my bold prediction. All right, I have one question for you. Yes. What farm system are the Phillies about to trade from? Because it's certainly not their own, which is ranked 26th in baseball. How are they going to get Bogarts from the Red Sox? So they're going to have to give up essentially their top couple prospects, who are not, granted, very good by any means. However, the Red Sox are at a point where there's I don't really see necessarily a big market for Bogarts. Um, I could see some teams kind of sneaking in there, but again, it's a weird fit for a lot of teams. I feel like the Red Sox will be okay with moving Bogarts because they, I just think they know they're going to lose him. And I, and I think they're going to go to the, from the perspective of we are going to lose him and we will take what we can get. We're not going to portray that to the open market, but we're going to take what we can get. The Phillies, like 
like you mentioned, they do not have a good farm system. And I'm not trying to necessarily argue that they have the players to get him. And maybe, again, maybe I'm stretching. This is a bold prediction. But if they can somehow get it done, if they really can, that would be a big, big surprise, obviously. However, I see the Phillies as a team that would do something like this because they've done it before and they go after big name guys and they don't give a crap about defense. So they're just going to throw out an offense and he just fits the mold. Maybe they don't have the, the prospect talent to get him, but if they can somehow figure out a package, I think the Phillies are a team to do it. Wow. Yeah. I mean, Dabrowski is certainly aggressive. Phillies GM. I, I struggled to see Heim Bloom, Red Sox GM, punting on this season. They're only at 500. Um, granted, yeah, they're in a stacked division, but the wild card is still attainable. It's, I mean, man, they started off horribly this year, and the Bogarts rumors, you know, started up the drumbeat, but then they stormed back into contention. Now they're sliding again. They've had a very up and down season. Who knows? They could go on a 10-game win streak before the deadline and we'll forget you ever said this, but um, they could also keep playing the way they are and and uh, actually entertain a Bogarts trade. I think it's a really tough sell to the fan base who has already been punched in the gut with the Mookie Betts trade. So yeah, I, I struggle to see this one going down, uh, but you have convinced me that the Phillies may be a, a decent fit if he is available. Also, watch out for the Padres if they miss out on Soto and the other big bats. Just saying. What? Yeah, okay, Look at, listen to this. If they miss out on Soto, and they miss out on Bell, and they miss out on Contreras, they're going to be desperate for a big impact bat. If the Red Sox continue to tank and Bogart's yeah, an outfield bat. Right, but what, what impact outfield bat is there? They're not going to have to overpay for. Because if they go after Reynolds, they're going to overpay. If they go after Bogarts, he immediately becomes their DH. And with Tatis, you know that Tatis ain't playing every day. I don't know. It's a hot take. I'm not saying that this is, like, a smart thing to say. I'm just saying that it's a hot take. <laughs> right? So don't get on me. for but When it does happen, y'all can come back and praise me because I know what I'm talking about. But anyway, let's move on from my craziness, and let's talk about the man, the myth, the legend, Ted Williams himself in a Washington National uniform, Juan freaking Soto. And each man, the fact that he's even considered a trade candidate is beyond me. The Nationals, we could get into why the Nationals have essentially messed this up, in my opinion. But needless to say, he wants out. I think that's pretty obvious. Every team in baseball wants him. Not every team in baseball can get him. Where do you see this going as we near the deadline? Yeah, I mean, as you said, this is just a shocking development. I mean, when I was thinking about doing this episode a couple weeks ago, I was all ready to, you know, have to tamp down the Soto rumors. I mean, you never hear GMs be as frank as Mike Rizzo was of the Nationals. He let he said on record, we are not trading Juan Soto. <laughs> and man, I mean, he had to eat his words fast. 
Um, either he was just really confident that Soto was going to accept their extension offer, or I don't know, something else changed his mind. But um, yeah, I it's somewhat astonishing that he turned down the highest total contract ever. But at the same time, he's a Boris client, <laughs> and um, Boris clients always go for the absolute biggest money. It's just how it works. Um, it's less about, you know, people can say, oh, well, what's the difference between 440 and 500 million? And they're right. I mean, there really isn't a discernible difference. It's more about making a statement for the Players Association, you know, to drive up salaries. Like if Soto gets, if Soto settles for 300 million or something like that, you know, then it's just going to be harder for, the next crop of free agents to top that as well. Cause they can say, Oh, well look, Juan Soto only got this much. Um, whereas if Soto gets 500 million, then, you know, the Xander Bogarts is and Raphael Devers is and Aaron judge is of the world are going to say, Hey, you know, I may not be Juan Soto, but I'm pretty close. Give me 400. Um, so that's kind of my insight into why he declined the offer as for how it shakes up the trade deadline, man. I mean, this is just crazy. Um, one thing I was thinking about is the thing that we all expected to be the biggest story of the trade deadline. We haven't even mentioned it. So preseason, what was supposedly the biggest story of the trade deadline was expanded playoffs. There's two more playoff spots. And we were all wondering how that was going to affect the deadline. Are there going to be not enough sellers? Are there going to be teams that, you know, kind of just stand pat at the deadline because they think they're going to maybe squeak in as a wildcard team and that's good enough? Are the good teams going to be motivated to become really good teams? Um, And we haven't talked about that at all um, because it seems like it's business as usual. There's, you know, the same amount of trade rumors flying around. this year, it seems like as before, obviously we can't know until it actually goes down, but um, yeah, obviously Soto's the biggest story of this deadline and he's obviously been the talk of baseball for the last week. Um, I still like, even though he's available now, which is just astonishing to say, I still find it hard to believe that the Nationals can actually pull off a trade. Not that I would be surprised, but there are things to consider here. Number one, just the fact that, well, okay, two two big key pieces here is that A, teams in recent years have gotten really attached to their prospects. Um, prospect valuation has changed a lot over the past half decade, and teams are more reluctant than ever to trade top talent. Now, I know what you're saying. It's Juan Soto, and yes, teams will be willing to give up a lot. The other thing is, the Nationals have to scout these guys and they only have a week now, two weeks since they made it, made him available to go out and scout all of these teams, top prospects, because, you know, <laughs> we, we talk about top 100 prospects and all that, you know, the MLB pipeline list, the uh, baseball prospectus, top prospect list, but you know, teams, don't, teams don't Google, <laughs> Who is the <laughs> New York Yankees top prospect? They have their own scouting department. They look at these guys themselves, you know. So 
for the Nats to actually be able to go and scout multiple teams, farm systems for this in two weeks and, you know, have the type of negotiations where they can be confident that they're getting the best deal. It's tough. It's tough to see. What do you think, Logan? Yeah, I think it's it's going to be so interesting because, like you say, they're going to want, well, we know what they want. They want four to five top prospects, and a couple of them are major league ready, and they would also like a couple major league players that are young and controllable. That's a lot to ask for, yet again, it's on Soto. So what is his value? What is his market value as a trade? We have no clue because no one like Juan Soto's ever been traded before. It's very interesting. The closest comps would be Miguel Cabrera. Yeah, I mean, really, and in no offense to Cabrera, but he's not a 23-year-old Ted Williams. So it's interesting. It's just so interesting because you just don't know what teams internally value Soto as. Because we know what the Nationals value Soto as. Four to five players that are young, controllable, or top, top prospects. Do other teams value Soto that much? You'd probably say, yeah, they would do the same thing had they had Soto. Do they want to give it up is the other question. I don't see a team yeah. giving up four to five guys. I just really don't. I can see four. Yeah. I really can. If a team just says, okay, you know what, we're doing it. Four guys, here you go. Sure. Five to me, that's a lot. Unless it's, you know, a flyer guy. But just legit but it's not, it's not gonna guys. Be, yeah. There's going to be no flyer guys involved in this. It's going to be so interesting. And then you add on the other dynamic that the Nationals have reportedly, they want to include Strasburg or Corbin to get those contracts out of the way. You do that, that takes away the Padres because you know they're not going to do that. I mean, that I, I'm going to interrupt here. Like, I do not understand this at all. That just is the height of stupidity to me. I do not understand why the Nationals would even think about including an underwater contract to Soto. That is just... It's terrible. I, you're not going to compete anyway. You don't need to slash your payroll any more than it already is. You're not, you don't need financial flexibility for the next few years. You need to restock your farm system. You need to get as much as you possibly can for Soto. And tacking on extra money for, with Corbin or Strasburg is just going to lessen the return that you get. And that's just not how you should play this. There, no. There's no reason for you to reduce your prospect return. That's the only thing that's important here. No, totally agree with you. Yeah, it's the Nationals and the fact that they've messed the Soto thing up. I don't know. I'm not trying to say Mike Riz is an idiot. I don't think he is, but they've clearly done something wrong here. And I believe it's more towards ownership than anything. And if Mike Rizzo is getting pressure from ownership, then he doesn't have a choice. If that's really where the pressure is coming from and, and they're telling him you need to move a contract, he's going to try. And while it may not be the smartest baseball maneuver, we've seen teams not do the smartest baseball maneuvers when it comes to getting rid of contracts because you know how owners are. These guys cry. Yeah, they cry that they're poor. They can't afford things. Yada, yada, yada. Just worth a couple billion dollars, but no, I can't afford it contracts here and there anyway besides the point kind of getting back onto juan soto you there's a lot of teams that are interested very few teams that can fit the the bill that can afford him 
not financially, because you'll make the room financially for Juan Soto. It's the teams that can afford in prospect value-wise. There's obviously a bunch of teams interested. The Cardinals, as of today, were mentioned as front-runners by certain reporters. The Padres were also mentioned as front-runners. Those are the two names that have really been bouncing around the most. Obviously, both teams have the young, controllable talent and top prospects to pull the deal off. That's why they're viewed as the leaders. Not necessarily that they've made progress. It's more as though they have the talent to get the deal done and they're interested. There's obviously going to be other teams. The Dodgers will check in. The Yankees will check in. The usual suitors. Mets Mets fans really want them, understandably so. That's a tough sell for me in division, though. Yeah, I don't see that happening. Especially this one. Especially this one is tough sell in division. There's just no way. Other than that, though, I don't really see too many other teams being potential suitors just for the sole fact I don't think they're going to be able to afford them. I could say, I mean, the Mariners could afford them, sure. I haven't really seen their name thrown around there unless you have. No, I haven't. They could, they could in theory, afford them, but... And honestly, that one to me makes sense. Yeah, you can never rule out Depoto. He's never been, never seen a blockbuster trade he didn't like. Um, no, that's extremely true. So we'll have to see how this one pans out. It's going to be, I don't, this is not going to be a trade that is a deadline last minute move. If this one gets done, it's going to happen a day or two before because it's going to take, it's not going to be a, a last-second split decision. Okay, let's just do it. They're going to take their time in deciding on this one. Um, yeah, it's not going to be, you know, you remember the money ball scene where Billy Bean calls yes. up the GM who's like, you know, goes through a list of prospects and piss, picks one off the list. It's not going to be like that. You know, we mentioned the scouting. It's going to go into this. The Nats are going to be going to want to make sure they absolutely dot all their I's and cross all their T's. Um, before pulling the trigger here. And another thing to note, uh, you mentioned ownership before, and the Nationals are in a bit of a tight situation here because it's looking more and more like the Lerner family is going to sell. And yes, there are several new owners, several potential new owners in the mix, and their opinions could get important here. You know, if I'm a new owner, I like my chances a lot better if I have Juan Soto on the team. You know, I like my marketing for sure a lot better. And I don't know. I mean, I don't know if that's going to be a possibility or it's not. I don't know if that's going to be a consideration, but it was certainly raised as a possibility uh, by Ken Rosenthal. Um, He's usually on top of these sorts of things. Um, But yeah, yet another complication. Uh, to a potential deal, but yeah, let's stop talking about the complications. I want to see, I want to know what they're going to get. Tell me what they're going to get, Logan. They're going to, like we talked, I, I mentioned earlier, they're going to get four. What I realistic, realistically think that they're going to be able to get is four legit players. Give me names. They're going to be. Give me names. Tell me about the Padres. Who are they going? Who are the Padres? Okay, I can out? I can give you Padres easily. If they're getting the Padres, I think it's a lock. C.J. Abrams, one of the top prospects in baseball, recently graduated the top 100 lists. I think that's a lock. So you're looking at Abrams. I think you're going to have to look at Hassel probably leaving the farm system, the current number one prospect. Now the question becomes, do they part with James Wood, who a lot of people would say is the number one prospect, not Hassel anymore? 
I feel like the Padres would be reluctant to get rid of what I really do. Do they do it for Soto? Sure. I feel like that's the one that's going to hurt the most. So I'm looking at a, at a package that looks like this. Here's the four players I think that ends up going over. I think you're going to have Robert Hassel third. You're going to have to lose C.J. Abrams. You're going to have to lose Jackson Merrill, their number four prospect shortstop. And they're also going to have to lose James Wood. I don't see another scenario unless they're comfortable getting rid of Mackenzie Gore. If they can highlight it position player-wise, I think they can survive this. I really don't want us to get rid of Morahone or Gore. I think we need that pitching. However, that's where I see the highlighted guys. If I were to make one adjustment to what I said, I would probably take out Wood and put in either Adrian Morahone or Gore into that one. It, it's a tough pill to swallow. It really is. Um, but I, I just don't see a trade in which C.J. Abrams and Robert Hassel are not included. I think those are the two locks, and I just don't see any other way around it. Yeah, I think yeah, I think the Nats are certainly going to ask for those two. And certainly, yeah, if, if you come at them with Abrams, Hassel, Merrill, and Wood, um, they're definitely going to be you know, asking where the pitching is. Um, and they will certainly want Gore. Um, whether the Padres can maneuver around that, you know, maybe by adding more at home, uh, maybe Ryan Weathers, but he doesn't really have that much trade value. He's stuck yeah. it up in AAA this year. Um, maybe even Robert Gasser, top pitching prospects now in the Padres system. Although, you know, the Nats have stated they want they want guys that are close to the big leagues um, and Wood yeah. and Merrill were just drafted last year. Gasser, I think as well. Correct. So they're all pretty far away from the majors. So yeah, I, I would think the Nats would probably ask their first offer would be give me Abrams, Hassel, Gore, maybe even Morahone also, and either Wood or Merrill. They're going to want Wood. Um, and I think the Padres would balk at that probably. But I think that would be the starting point. Yeah, and that's the thing. If the Nationals are stubborn, I don't see any team meeting their value. And they should be, you know, from their perspective. They should set their price and just basically say, you know, if you don't want to pay it too bad, talk to us in the offseason. Because there's no reason to get less than what you think you deserve for one Soto. Yeah, I totally agree. Um, I think the only other team we should really touch on is the Cardinals because they're the only ones that have really come out in reports as a serious, serious suitor. Obviously, a deal with the Cardinals would be headlined, at least name-wise, by Matthew Libertor and Dylan Carlson. I don't really think there's a question there. Um, after that, you're looking at probably their number one consensus prospect throughout the board, Jordan Walker, mm-hmm. pretty close to ready. You're probably going to include Ivan Herrera, catching prospect, who is ready. Now, and then you got to look at two guys. I really think I look at their system. I, unless the Nationals value Michael McGreevy a lot as a right-handed pitcher, he throws hard. He's a good prospect. Unless they value him more than Jordan Grafessio, um, their number five prospect, it's going to be between one of those two. They're going to ask for two starting pitchers. Um, both of those guys are fairly comparable. Um, so just about, it depends on who the Nats value more. I kind of think that's what the package would have to look like from them, though. And I genuinely think that they have a 
a more diverse pool of players to offer that will intrigue the Nationals. Yeah, I mean, it is it is a pretty impressive uh, offer there that you're putting together on the spot here. But I don't know. I just think there's a little bit less ceiling there than the Padres offer that we just talked about. You know, Carlson is a solid outfielder. Is he an all-star? Maybe a few times in his career. Liberator, solid pitcher, probably going to be. He hasn't been so hot out of the gate this year, but he's a rookie. Um, but he's not. He's more of a mid-rotation guy than a potential ace caliber like Mackenzie Gore. Um, Walker, certainly top prospect. Yeah, I love, love his upside um, and the other prospects as well. But the big thing for the Nats will be MLB ready talent, are eligible and league minimum salary talent. And I think the Padres can offer more in that regard with Abrams and Gore and potentially Adrian Morihone as well uh, than the Cardinals can with Liberator and Carlson. And also there's the question of whether the Cardinals would even be willing to part with those two off their major league roster. They are already very thin on starting pitching depth, which we mentioned earlier. Um, so losing Liberator as well um, would be would be tough. And also with Harrison Bader's injury, they've been relying on Dylan Carlson to cover center field. So if they drop him, then they're really going to be pressing somebody into service there who's not, uh, not a true center fielder, at least until Bader gets back. Yeah. No, I think it's interesting how, how there's going to – when you look at it, like you said, the Padres provide more upside. The Cardinals provide more diverse portfolio. Yeah. Here's the question. At the end of the day, does this get done? And who does he go to if it does? I'm going to say, I'm going to say this. If the Nationals are hell-bent on attaching Patrick Corbin's contract. I really don't see them attaching Strasburg's. But if they are hell-bent on attaching Patrick Corbin's contract, I think it will probably go to the Cardinals. If not, I think the Padres have the best chance. Okay. Didn't answer my question. Is it happening? (laughs) No, it's not happening. No. Okay. Terrible response. It's happening. The San Diego Padres will have Juan Soto on their roster in a week and a half here. He's going to be And I will lose my mind when they do. And another hot take on top of that, they're going to find the money to extend him. Wow. That's... They're going to do it. That's... Wow. I don't know about that one, Chief. They're going to do it, and it's going to be insane when Tatis, Soto, and Machado are the top three in the lineup for the next They're going to be paying those three guys like twice as much as the A's pay their whole payroll. Correct. And is it the smart thing to do? Absolutely not. However, when you get Juan Soto, I think you have to have the intention of at least trying to extend him. And I feel like the Padres are going to at least try. Maybe I shouldn't say they're going to, but I think they're going to try. I think you're getting a little carried away here. Just a little bit. I think they can do it. I think they can. Just can't extend Musgrove, if you're okay with that. That's tough. Yeah, That's a tough pill to swallow. Alrighty, well, unless you got any more on Soto, I think we've about wrapped up our second episode here on the trade deadline. 
Yeah, we're uh, yeah over the hour and a half mark here, so we should get it wrapped up. This was fun talking about uh, the top trade candidates ahead of the deadline. Fun talking with you, Logan. And um, yeah, I'll see you next time on Painting the Corners. Later.